Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 197, where we interview Nate Forbes and talk about saving for retirement with a big family on a low income. I agree. Mathematically, that's the way to go. But life isn't all about math, you know? And for for us, <laughs> yeah, for us, it's uh, like kind of what I mentioned, like the whole life circumstances are, we don't have any energy. We're tapped out, you know, and we're living and seeing what can happen overnight. Maybe think about tomorrow. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me as always is my legendary co-host, Scott Trench. You're always labeling me, Mindy. He'll get it. <laughs> Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or just pay off a a small rental property portfolio and buy relatively early. We'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so that you can launch yourself towards those dreams. I am so excited to talk to Nate today. I met Nate in our Facebook group. And if you're not part of our Facebook group, you should be. You can go to facebook.com slash groups slash BP money, or just search up BP money on Facebook and join our group and talk with your fellow frugal weirdos about different aspects of your financial education, your financial situation, and see what other people who are like-minded can do or would do in your situation. And I met Nate because he posted that he had just paid off several of his rental properties due to some 2020 circumstances that he went through and he realized, you know what, I want to shift my focus a little bit. So he's here today to share his story with us. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, 
maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. Nate Forbes, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I can't wait to jump into your story. Well, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan and this is awesome. Glad to be here. Let's jump right into it. Let's let's talk about your money journey. Where does your story with money begin? Well, I think it probably just growing up, uh, watching your your family, watching your parents and how they how they do things. I think for my for me, uh watching my parents uh they started on two incomes, but when I was born, my mom was at home and she just stayed at home with us the whole time uh, growing up. My dad worked for a nonprofit, so he we weren't making much money, but they were always, um, we always had plenty and we always had enough. I remember them listening to, uh, I think it was Larry Burkett on the radio and uh, it was always part of our life. So I think just watching my parents and how they dealt with money and how they weren't stingy, even though they didn't have a lot. So I think that was probably the probably the biggest part of my journey starting was just seeing how they they manage money. And let's talk about your experiences in high school and college. Yeah, uh, high school. Well, on the same lines, you know, I worked in high school. Uh, I did. I have to earn money and save up for college. Uh, I knew that was coming, so my parents said, "We'll help you as much as we can, but uh, we don't want you to go into debt going into college. So you might want to start saving." So I, I worked as a janitor for a while, and then. Uh, worked at a restaurant and then through college, I worked at all sorts of different places and together, you know, by, between my parents and me, we were able to get through college without any debt, which is unreal these days. And I think it was a huge start for my future. Yeah, that's enormous. Um, so what is your college degree in? It's a bachelor of science in theology, which is like a, it's oh, like, a, okay. it's like a, what most pastors would do. I didn't really want to be a pastor, but I was interested in learning about those kind of things. So I really haven't done much with it other than school, but that's kind of how most degrees are anyhow. Uh, yeah, I uh, have a degree in fashion design and I work for a real estate education internet startup and host a podcast about money. So my college degree really got me nothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're very fashionable, Mindy. Um, uh, what was your position upon graduating? You had no debt. Did you have any cash? What, what kind, and what kind of job were you able to get? Yeah, I think I had a... Well, I didn't have a car. I, it had just failed on me. I had a Volkswagen bus and it had just caught fire on a road trip, which was, you know, 
kind of uh i got a nice picture of uh the van on flames behind us yeah um but i didn't have i didn't have a vehicle but um didn't have any debt i think i had like maybe two thousand dollars not really i wasn't really thinking about money too much to be honest because my first job was an internship where i had a place to live at a camp like a camp that i I was helped run running and uh i think i made five thousand dollars that year so it was basically a volunteer position all right um <laughs> yeah where, where does your where does your kind of money story kind of like what what, what like what, where do you get your kind of first job and and you're you go <laughs> i don't even know how to yeah five thousand dollars <laughs> is uh is not did you take on any debt with this position or no i had a yeah. place to live and so you know i it was a camp and they had food so i got to eat at you know the camp and <laughs> um i had hired some staff for the, i was like in charge of the summer staff and I, I realized that they were making more money than I did in the, you know, per hour. But, uh, yeah, no, it, it was for me, um, I wasn't married yet. So I was just kind of doing what I wanted to do. And that's kind of what you get to do when you don't have debt and you have, you can take care of your needs. So I was passionate about being, that's true. You know, doing things that I was passionate that's, about. That's a luxury. That's the advantage of graduating debt free. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I didn't have any overhead. <laughs> Yeah, that's a wonderful. That sounds like a wonderful year too. What was the next phase? I had been working at these camps for like in high school and college, and at that age, I was just out of college, so I was supposed to hire some college age staff, and so I basically hired all my friends that I had worked with in the past years. One of them being my future wife. So after that year, we got I, I started dating her, and then we didn't date long because we'd known each other for several years. Got married quickly after that, and um. I moved near her family so that I could get to know her parents. So they, they would know me and we just, uh, were working like coffee shop and just like random jobs that were short term. Cause no one wanted to hire me for, uh, for longer than that. Cause they knew that I was only there temporarily. Um, we get married and we didn't have any good jobs. So I'm like, well, let's just move somewhere. So we decided to move to, um, Pennsylvania where I'd gone to college. Didn't have any jobs or any place to live or anything. So we just headed out road tripping and, uh, my wife had secured a place on Craigslist. We were house sitting. So we were house sitting for somebody that didn't even know us. I don't know if I'd recommend that or not, but um, we stayed there for a month and just started looking for jobs. I I got a job doing carpentry and my wife got a job working um, at a doctor's office. And uh, we did that for about a year and then um, got back into camp. So I, I just love camp. I love being outside. I love being with kids. And uh, we headed back to Oregon, which is where we're at now. And I, I got a, a job at a nonprofit there. I think started out at like twenty five thousand dollars, which you know isn't isn't much for. Um, I mean, it, it's a living wage, I guess, but you know, it's not much um, to try to save and try to get financially uh, free. I don't know, but yeah. So, so what you know at at this point when you get this job at the nonprofit, you know, several years have gone by. You've gotten married. You've 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 really kind of just taken whatever jobs are available based on factors that really have nothing to do with money. You're you're. It's just, it doesn't seem like a, a priority there, but what, what's the what's the position that you're in there? Were you able to save anything? It's did you have any debt? Well, uh, before I got married, um, I told my wife, uh, you know, there's there's the vows that you take, you know, in rich, riches and poor, you know, being poor. And I'm like, let's focus on that poor one because that's the kind of jobs I like to do are the ones that don't make any money. Are you up? Are you up for that? You know, <laughs> and she's like, she's, she's like, no problem. I love that you are passionate about what you're doing and, and let's do this, you know? And so, yeah, money wasn't the main, main factor at that point. And that was nice because we didn't have any debt and we were, we weren't accumulating any debt, but we really weren't gaining much traction on 
on you know income at all or any savings we had maybe like a couple thousand dollars in savings but we didn't have any credit card debt we used you know we used cars the old cars and did everything ourselves it was just kind of like bootstrapping it but it was fun um and that's what we were at that first year and then we ran into this uh seminar dave ramsey and i was looking at that i'm like you know i think we could my wife was working too i'm like i think we could maybe front end just save as much as we can towards retirement and then maybe once we have kids and and we're making less income maybe we could just quit retire you know putting money towards retirement but we maybe we could actually retire you know before that i was thinking i'm just going to work until i die and do stuff i like doing and not even think about retirement which is kind of looking back wasn't the smartest thought but um that's what i was thinking but once we saw dave ramsey i'm like you see the chart of a guy that starts uh contributing to his uh, uh retirement earlier than the other person i'm like well we're starting early and we can just max everything out and just live really cheap we were living in a, a one bedroom uh room we were in a, a house that was um a, like a, a common house like a bunch of people lived together we had a house a, a bedroom with a bathroom but we were living with a bunch of other people we were sharing meals um so it was really like 300 bucks a month i think and then i think 40 dollars a month or 50 dollars a month for groceries so our costs were super super low so at that point when i was working at that camp and what what year is it that you're like this is how, how old are you guys and what year is this 2007 um i'm not sure how old i was uh i'm 40 now i just turned 40 um but yeah 2007 so that was 14 years ago because my daughter was born in 2007 okay so, so in 2007, you're sitting there and, and that's when you, you know, go to the Dave Ramsey seminar and begin kind of this new trajectory with your finances. Yeah. Yep. And so we saved everything my wife uh, made and some of mine. And we had a company match. I think I put in, I think 3% and then they would double that. So they would put in like an additional 6%. So we, we did that um, for her job and my job because she was working, the, the camp was owned by a university. So she worked for the university. I worked for the the camp and it was a nonprofit university and, uh, and camp. Um, so we saved all, I think we were maxing out, uh, Roths and saving some money for a house, but housing was like in Oregon at that point, I think the cheapest house was about $300,000. And when you're making $25,000, well, and my wife's income, um, we were saving hers, but you know, you're not going to be able to buy that kind of house. And then the market crashed and we were able to buy, buy a house cause we'd been saving up a down payment. Which is cool. We we were actually the lowest offer um, for the house. There's like five offers the first week, and we just put our picture in there and we're like telling our story, kind of like you know we we love the the house. Basically, you know, the realtor told us to do it and we did it, and it, and they they went with the lowest offer, which is us, which is pretty cool. But it is a big blessing for sure. So so this is this is uh, one year. This is one year after kind of the your your focus on finances with after the Dave Ramsey seminars you're able to save up enough to to pay to be the lowest offer uh but the winning offer on this on this house yeah i think it was actually let me look here i think that was 2007 when we started so i think it was 2009 so it was about 2 years we went we started renting a regular house but that was like $545 we got a, a sweet deal on that too um yeah and then in 2011 is when we actually purchased our first house and so yeah so we're still working at the nonprofit uh, still saving money. My wife got pregnant that 2009. And so we both grew up, our parents, uh, you know, one income, um, even though we, it was just, you know, that's kind of how we grew up. And it was uh, kind of a, a nice way for, we, we enjoyed 
growing up with our moms at home and it was more peaceful um, than what we were seeing out in the world where everyone's working tons of jobs and it's just a little stressful. So we decided let's, even though we're not going to save as much money or whatever, it was more part of our values to have somebody at home with the kids, um, at, at least at the beginning. And uh, we've just kept doing that. Actually, my wife's still at home and we've still been able to um, save money. But so, yeah, at that point, that's when I kind of got a little bit more focused when we had our, our first kid. I'm like, you know, I was reading every book. I was reading like JD's Roth's blog and uh, get rich slowly and all sorts of other stuff. Um, we were just kind of focused more on that. But then my, but then my job got a little bit crazier. Uh, my, they let my boss go and they wanted me to do that job. We had another baby and I'm like, I was just looking, I'm like, I don't know if we can do this. So we started looking around and then um, telling, talking to family and friends. And my, my father-in-law was like, well, I've got, I've got a position. Um, do you want to try it for a year? And so I'm like, okay, let's do it. And so I've been doing that for the last, I guess, 10 years now. What were you doing at, at this job when your first kids were born? Was that carpentry still? Oh, I, I did carpentry in Pennsylvania. And then I moved back to Oregon and we uh, started running the uh, camp. So I was like a camp director for a day camp. And so I was hiring all the staff, doing all the curriculum and that kind of thing. Got it. And, and during that time while you're camp director, that's when you're resetting the position, beginning to max out the retirement accounts. You and your wife are both working. Then she begins to stay home after your first one is born. Yep. And now you're looking for ways to raise the income with baby number two on the way. And that's when yes. you make the shift to the to work for the father-in-law? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's partially income, partially just the, the situation at work. It was getting a little stressful. I was working mm -hmm. about, with nonprofits, you work like 50, 60 hours. And, um, you know, it's just really hard to to do that with, with a new baby. And, and yeah, I was just kind of feeling stretched at all ends. So, but we were saving the whole time. We were, and uh, a big part of it was just frugality, you know. We were, yeah, used cars, uh we, we, uh, <laughs> for our shopping at our, at thrift store, uh, we, we'd go to this place called the Goodwill by, by the pound. It was like a Goodwill outlet and you'd go in there and you'd have gloves. I love the Goodwill outlet. Yeah. It's craziest place ever. So we, we would just like get all of our clothes, all our baby clothes, all of our clothes. And I would search for like vintage clothes. And so we'd find all these, I find all these vintage clothes and then I would take them to the vintage resale shop and they'd give me money for the vintage uh, clothes I found and that'd pay for our shopping trip and maybe a little bit extra. So that was kind of fun. We, you know, our vacations camping out, we, we would be house sitting, you know, we wouldn't really do any crazy vacations. We'd go visit family, that kind of thing. So we just lived a frugal life and we still do. And I think that's a big part of our success for sure. I think that's a huge part of your success. I'm, I'm hearing you say, you know, well, I didn't make a lot of money, but I didn't have any credit card debt. So we weren't you know, saving for retirement and we weren't, you know, in the beginning, we weren't really doing much to further ourselves. You were doing a lot to further yourself because you weren't collecting credit card debt. You weren't trying to keep up with the Joneses. You weren't trying to be this consumer that a lot of Americans are. So you were doing a lot for yourself and you know discovering dave ramsey his baby steps are great i like the first three you know we we split paths after the first three but they're really really powerful when you get yourself in a position where you are not accumulating debt because then instead of being able to save anything you're paying off this debt or just accumulating more and not saving it all anyway so you are doing really really well you have two kids a stay-at-home mom and you're still saving for retirement. 
you mentioned, I know I've said this on the show before, but you mentioned that you saw this thing with Dave Ramsey that one person puts in this much money and starts saving early, whereas another person puts in more and starts saving a little bit later. I've read that too. When you, like if you start from 20, age 22 to 30, you put in, you know, X number of dollars per week or per month, you will have more money at retirement than the person who starts at 30, puts in 2X, and continues until 65. Like the power of compound interest is so enormous. The earlier you start, the better off you are. And it sounds like you started, what, in your early 20s, your mid-20s, you started saving for retirement? Yeah, and I think we they, they had a certain percentage with Dave Ramsey, like how much percentage of your income you should do. And I, we just didn't know, are we gonna be able to keep doing that if we're gonna work in nonprofits? Are we gonna be able to keep putting money aside? So let's just max out even more than the percentage. Let's just do as much as we can front end, and then we won't have to do it in the back end if we don't if we aren't able to. So that's I kind love of like, that mindset. We looked at that. So when you when you are switching your job at this point, this is like 2011, 2012. Is that what we're talking about with the job switch? Yeah, yeah, that was 2011. Does that in, does that involve a move? Yeah, well, it didn't at first. So. Uh, Work was about an hour and a half away. So I was doing a big commute. So uh, whenever we have a, a new thing, we kind of look around and see, well, what's what's the cheapest way to make this happen? Which wasn't commuting, obviously. But we had just uh, refinanced the house and we were not sure we were going to keep the job for longer than a year. It was just kind of a trial basis. So there's a, there's a website called uh, fueleconomy.gov. And so you can look at all sorts of different cars on there. And so I found this, the 1992 Honda Civic hatchback, you could get like close to 50 miles to the gallon. You know, in 1992, it seems like a, you know, kind of a crazy amount of mileage per gallon. But anyhow, you can kind of search around on that website. And uh, so that's how we got the car for that, for the commute. But eventually we moved to, uh, to where, where I'm working here and about five miles away, two miles away, something like that. But how did that, how did that change the, the game for you? Was that a better income situation where you, you know, what was what were the advantages of the of the job switch? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it was it was probably close to double what we were what I was getting paid at at the nonprofit. So yeah, we just started saving more. Obviously, you know, we're used to you know staying staying low in our in our expenses, and that was really tight. And we just kind of kept it tight as long as we could. And then you know now we have four kids, and expenses are getting up, and we are probably loosening it up a little bit when you have more kids and more responsibilities that kind of, you do have to kind of open up that a little bit. So we have, we have eased up some on the, the spending front. As you are investing, what are you, or as you're, as you're saving money, where are you putting it? So mostly we were doing Roth IRAs. And then, then I found the Mr. Money Mustache um, site. And then I found Mad Scientist and, then we started doing just regular index funds and uh, like the 401k contributions to and HSA. So we started doing all that uh, for a couple of years. And then I think real estate, we'd done well on the first house. We, we uh, had uh, sold that one to move to this new house and we made, made some good money just because of the market and because of kind of forced appreciation. We, were, we kind of fixed it up quite a bit, bought a foreclosure where we're at now and did the same thing. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how we, I don't know how we got into it. Eventually I saw some stuff out in Michigan where I grew up and I'm like, 
you know, that's, those are really cheap houses and the rent is like the same as it is out here in Oregon. So we started looking out there and that's kind of where our, our kind of our investment changed a little bit. During this period, you know, from, from 2007, when you kind of begin changing your trajectory with money and all that, what, what do you, th- what would you kind of say on average you're putting away per month, um, through that period and, and can you give us like highlights of the highs and lows there? You know, I don't know the actual dollar amount, to be honest. I know we were maxing out our IRAs. Uh, so that'd be like 11,000, uh, 5,500 each. And then money towards HSA, money towards uh, just savings. So yeah, we were saving as much as we could. And I don't even know what that was, but we were also living and giving and, and that kind of thing too. So I don't really know the numbers, to, more of a general person than a specific well, fair enough, but I, I want to point out a couple of big levers here. One, it sounds like you're living very frugally the entire time, even with even with the kids, relatively uh, in a relative sense. There. Second, you did a live-in flip, which probably added fifty to a hundred, maybe plus, in a nice add-on to your wealth. There, and it sounds like you've done that at least twice now with your the second home that we're in the middle of discussing with this kind of stuff. You're maxing. You have a, a pretty good approach with the, the Roth IRAs, and the point I want to make is that there's no event here in this in this journey that we've had so far it's a process that's very gradual and very repeatable nothing special financially speaking about the story which i think is is really powerful in a lot of ways you're just following a a very proven process over a so far five six year period and amassing what i imagine to be a several hundred perhaps close to quarter million dollar net worth at this point um through the at this point in the story through through this so i i I admire it and i think it's really cool um how how simple um, if not easy, but how simple um, the approach is. Hey, we looked at the best car and bought it <laughs> on the yep. website. Um, yep. what, yeah, what, what, what an idea. <laughs> I love it. It's, but you know, most people just don't do that. Um, you're doing it for the, the efficiencies, um, the efficiency uh, point of view. Yeah, I think we looked at it as we want to you know, have one person at home and that's not normal. And we want to we want to do kind of what our values are. So we, instead of trying to earn more money by having both of us work, Let's just be frugal. Let's let's uh, meal plan. Let's you know. Let's do everything that you guys talk about on the podcast. Uh, let's let's do that. And um, you know, we read books. My mic's sitting on one right now. It's called the Simp- the Complete Tight Wad Gazette by Amy uh, Daxon. <laughs> that was what I got it from the library just now because it reminded me what we used to do. Like we still do, but we read a, all all the stuff we could about how to be frugal and. We just kind of went down that path, and it's actually really fun. It's kind of a game. It is a game. Yeah, and when you have kids, it kind of just simplifies your life anyhow. What do you do for entertainment? I mean, how how expensive is it to go to the park, you know, to get on a bike? It's not. You just, you know, you kids kind of make it simple. So I like that about having kids and a lot of joy and just a lot of fun. The kids are the entertainment. Exactly. Yep. They're hilarious. They come up with like some of the craziest things. They don't have these, these, you know, societal norms. They just say whatever comes out of their mouth and you're like, oh my goodness, that was hilarious. Write them all down too. Cause they, all of a sudden you forget all the cute things that they say, but they're hilarious. I have had friends who you know, oh, my kids in this and this and this and this and, you know, gymnastics and soccer and, and all these things. I'm like, that sounds like such a difficult life as an adult. Like you have to manage all this stuff. Just take them to the park. They love it. They run around. They play on the swings. Oh my goodness. I could have pushed my daughter for 30 hours on the swing and she would still say more. 
So exactly, how much does that cost? It's nothing. You just walk down there or drive if it's, you know, really far away. But yeah, it doesn't have to be expensive. And I think that that frugality sometimes gets it gets a bad rap. Like, oh, I have to give up everything. You seem like a really happy person. You seem like you have all the things that you want. I want to be outdoors. Well, being outdoors doesn't pay so much. Okay, so then I just won't buy so much stuff. Or I'll figure out a way to pay for it so I can still have it. Like, I want to have clothes. And I found these super cool vintage clothes. So I'm going to sell them and get enough money to pay for all the things that I bought. It's a net. It's a net. uh, It's a wash, I guess. It's not a net anything. It's just a wash. So it's a net win because now you don't have to pay for your clothes and your housing. You lived with roommates and some people are like, oh, I could never do that. Well, what is the saying, Scott? If you live like no other now, so you can live like no other later or something like that. I think he's, I think uh, Nate probably knows the Dave, the Dave Ramsey quote for that better than us. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. If you can live like no one else, uh, then you later on, you can live like no one else. I think is is something like that. Yep. So I'm hearing the story of this guy who's making $25,000 a year and his wife is making a little bit too. And then now, you said that you doubled your income. So now you're at 50,000 and a lot of people listening are like, well, I make more than that. And I still can't save any money because, you know, I have to buy all these things. You really don't have to buy all these things. You choose to buy all these things. So Nate is figuring out ways to have it without paying for it and also not stealing it. Right. Right. <laughs> well, well, so overnight um, in just six short years, you have uh, constructed a, a several hundred thousand dollar net worth, I presume, at this point with with this, and you're you're in the middle of you're just made a move to be closer to your new job, uh, an hour and a half away from where you were living previously. Is that where we are in the story? Yep, yep. So for a while, I tried riding my bike, and I realized that that wasn't for me. And it started raining, and I'm like, okay, I can't cut that out. But for for most of our life, we had just one car. But then with kids and everything, we just had, we have, you know, ended up doing two cars, but we never paid more than $4,000 for a car. You know, we don't have the Toyota Corolla like everyone's supposed to, you know, but we got the Avalon. So we're a little bit more, you know, <laughs> mm, uh, fancy. No, t- fancy. Yeah. Ooh, bougie. Yeah, right. <laughs> so no, yeah, just kind of cheap cars and they run well. And if they break, it's cheaper than a payment. So we kind of just go that way. And yeah, eventually we, uh, we had a friend that was doing real estate and I was seeing stuff in Michigan and um, we were thinking about doing another fl- live and flip with this house that we're in now, but it's perfect for us. Like, and, and a, you're in Oregon at this point, right? Yep. Yep. It's got a, yeah. It has a great yard and we're in Oregon. Yeah. Um, loving it close to the park. There's like a pool, like right across the street. I mean, it's really a great place for our, our family. So we didn't really want to flip it. We wanted like, where are we going to go? Like, this is kind of perfect for us or and we're homeschooling the kids and stuff. So like, you need the yard, you know, you need, you need what, what we have here. So we were kind of like really at a struggle what to do with it. So we ended up refinancing the house and able to have enough cash to go get our first burr in Michigan. And that, and that started our, our real estate um, adventure. And that was probably, when was that? Got that written down here. Uh, that was in 2017. So, so between then and between where we just were in the story and 2017, four years have gone by in this, in this new job. Is that right? Yeah. And all that time you're just continuing to save money and, and the savings rate is increasing as you're closer to work and contributing the the Roth, anything. Yeah. Yeah, We were on kind of the Mr. Money mustache path, just index funds and 
that's a blog. We, you know, we, we found that blog and we just say, Oh, this is, I can really, you know, I wasn't sure how long I'd do this job. I'm like, maybe we'll get back to nonprofits and let's just focus on, you know, saving now and we don't have to worry about it later. And then once we realized, yeah. Oh, you don't have to put any more money towards retirement. If we stopped right now, it's kind of like that coast five, which I hadn't heard about until recently, but yeah, you look at that and you're like, yeah, we could just stop putting that towards, you know, traditional retirement. When, when was that moment for you? I think that was like 2014, 15, something like that. So did you, did you stop contributing or did you continue? Oh, we, we kept contributing and then, uh, we, yeah, that's all we did. Yeah. That's what we did. Kept contributing. And then we put some just in regular index funds, not, not in the retirement, the traditional retirement accounts at that point. Well, I, I know, I know um, you're, you're skipping ahead to the real estate stuff, which, which we want to get to for sure. But what I want to point out here is like, okay, we started in 2007 and in 2014, you reach Coast Fi and it doesn't sound like you brought home like a huge income here, over a hundred grand at any point during this. Is that right? right? Right. And you're just slogging it out with, we call, I call it the grind with the, with, you're just grinding it out over the period of years, but you're, you, you're living your life. You're, it seems like you're happy with, with, with everything that's going on with that. And you're stockpiling tens of thousands per year, it seems like, in wealth in this that's compounding in a pretty meaningful way over this. And this is the not exciting part of the, the financial journey, which is why you're getting, trying to get to the burr on this. But this is the important stuff. Like all the, like this is you, you are getting rich in a really unexciting, highly repeatable fashion here over this period of, of seven years that we just discussed. And it's because you're, you're incredibly strong fundamentals that you're then able to begin slowly amassing an incredibly a, a financial fortress that makes you feel ready to, to take the next step with the real estate. Is that, is this, am I going too far with any of that? Or is that generally the picture? Yeah, no, it, it, it really didn't feel like a slog though. You know, it, it just felt like life and we were having fun and yeah, I think a big part of it was just how I grew up, you know, we didn't have a ton and, but we didn't need a ton. Our life was very full. And I think a big part of it growing up, that I try to emulate now is that my parents were just completely open and giving. And so they had a lot of community, you know, they were, they're part of the community. They're giving to the community. Didn't feel like we were missing anything. And that's how we, we still feel now. That's kind of how we live now. And just don't feel like we're missing anything. And I honestly don't think our life will change. We're just living our life, you know, but, uh, it's, but with a future, I think it's fantastic. And, and frankly, I'm 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 I am a little envious there because now, I've always liked my job here at, at Bigger Pockets, of course. With that, but like the way I viewed it at first, and I think a lot of people view it is they don't really like their job, and they're looking forward to the day they can quit and become financially independent with that. And so it is it is a grind or a slog for those couple of years. But what you what you just went through with that because they're just stockpiling money, and you have to do that for a period of years until you get past the hurdle, the coast fire, lean fire, whatever it is that you're looking for as your end end target there but you're like no this was this was automatic we you know we, we did exactly what we wanted to do and got pretty rich at the same time by just doing a lot of the basics right so i love that but i just wanted to point out that there were four years that went by prior to your real estate investment of you applying great fundamentals and enjoying your life and that i think is is an important thing to just you know point out before we get to the real estate journey when it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, 
we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. I used to think working from home was the dream, until it wasn't. Between the distractions and the solitude, I was struggling. But then I discovered Industrious Office, and honestly, it's been a game changer. Every day at Industrious feels like stepping into a zone of productivity. The high-speed internet never fails me during crucial moments, and the workspace? It's not only stylish, but designed to boost your focus and creativity. Plus, the daily breakfast and endless coffees are super cool. Meeting other driven professionals right where I work has not just expanded my network, it's inspired me. It's amazing how being around other focused people can push you to achieve more, you know what I mean? If you're looking for a sign to change your workspace, this is it. Check out Industrious by visiting biggerpockets.com industrious. Then click join now and use the promo code pockets to get a free week of co-working when you take a tour. That's biggerpockets.com industrious and use promo code pockets after clicking join now. Experience for yourself how the right environment can change the way you work. Industrious. It's where your best work happens. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. 
Well, I want to I want to define coast fi for people who are listening who may not have heard this topic. Nate, what does coast fi mean to you? I think it's where you have enough saved up that you don't have to worry about retirement. I mean, some people have a certain date before right, 65 or something, but I think for us we're looking at if we quit contributing, we can still live in our current income at age 65 and take out 4% and and be able to to survive on what we're we're living on, which was, you know, which isn't a lot. So it wasn't really, I think that's, that's part of it. If you, the less you live on, the less you have to save up for your retirement. So you yes. can't quit your job to sustain your lifestyle right now, but you can stop contributing anything to retirement and you'd be set at retirement. So you can, you can take a lot less income to live your life today because you don't have to contribute to retirement anymore. Right. And that's kind of what we were looking at uh, with the whole, when I saw that Dave Ramsey chart comparing the two. We're trying to reach that that place so that if we did have, you know, we're still open to whatever life's going to throw at us and where we want to head, uh, what kind of jobs we want to do. Uh, right now, it's great. I'm working with my father-in-law, and I'm seeing a big value in that, being able to work with family. Um, just so there's my dad this year has made me think more about that. So to be able to work with my father-in-law is a pretty amazing um, opportunity just to have that relationship. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, you're right. I got sidetracked there a little bit. I want to put a link to that Dave Ramsey picture that you're talking about, the Dave Ramsey graphs in the show notes for this episode, which can be found at biggerpockets.com slash moneyshow197. Because I want people to see just how powerful the compound interest is. It's like, I know what graph you're talking about, and it is, well, it was mind-blowing to me. I don't know, maybe other people one one minor nitpick there. I love that like that chart knows exactly what we're referring to. Where hey, if you contribute for ten years in your twenties at a, whatever a thousand bucks a month or a hundred bucks a month or something two hundred I don't I forget the number, then you'll have more wealth than the person who contributed the exact same amount over the next thirty years at the end of retirement. Just note that that assumes I think I I generally high, believe high percentage. Could be wrong yeah. here. As, yeah, he was he assumes a twelve percent return. Yeah. Yeah on your money. And, and that's not true. That, that same phenomena is not true with those numbers. If the return is 7% versus 12%, for example. So know that there's some nuance to look at, but in general, that's, I, I think it's a very, very powerful concept to think about. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That percentage is pretty high. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. So you look to Michigan, you have, you said you did your first BRRRR, and for people who are not familiar with that term, that stands, that's an acronym that stands for, uh, let me get it right, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. So basically you're buying a house that is in disrepair or outdated, you rehab it, you fix it up, you rent it out, you go to a bank and refinance, essentially pulling out most or all of the money that you have into the property. And then you repeat, meaning you go find another property that's not so great and fix it up and do the same thing again. Yep. Yeah. So you yeah, have your first burr and you say first as though there's more than one. Yeah, no, it was, it was good. And it was actually pretty cosmetic. I mean, we probably spent we spent some money and it and changed all the flooring out, painting, a lot of cleaning, new toilets, new vanities, that kind of stuff. And it's not the best rental. It's a big, big house, but we were still be able to pull out our money and we moved on and bought a duplex that was all our second burr. And so we were kind of going to go down that pathway, just, um, just get, uh, I think we were going to try to just do 10, 10 properties because 
as you noticed, we're not really driven by money. Really. We don't want to like have our life consumed by money. So 10 properties would be plenty for us. And then we could live. So 10, I think we want five paid for and five that are leveraged. And that was kind of our goal. So we were going to head towards 10 burrs and then pay off five and then see what's next. But we didn't get there. <laughs> Life changed. So, yeah. we So, yeah. So, we did the first property, got tenants in it. They're still in there. And then we got the second property as a duplex. And that place was just a mess. Can you give us, like, a very quick overview of the numbers behind the first property? We don't have to go into each one, but it, it could be helpful to be like, hey, how much cash did you need to bring to the table and, and to yeah. the deal? And Yeah. So, we, we refinanced our house here. And we bought it super low and the market had gone quite a bit. So we were able to use that money to cash out the house. So we didn't have to find a bank or anything to, to get the seed money to start on. The, and, and as a reminder, the way, the reason you're able to refinance the house is both because of appreciation and because you fixed up your house that you're living in. You basically yeah. lived and flipped it to burn it. Yep. This is a foreclosure, the worst house in the best neighborhood kind of idea. So yeah, you're right. So let's see, I've got. Yeah, we bought that house for 111,000 and we put 18,000 into it. And then we refinanced it and I think we got 124 out so it wasn't quite a, a burr. I think we had 5k still in it. And then we bought it a, a oh, duplex. Oh, you lose. Yeah, I lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you essentially have $5,000 in your first rental house and it rents for how much? Today it's like 2100. Oh, okay. So two and a half months worth of rent and you've made all your money back that you have. Well, well what's, in it. what's, what's the cash flow for the property? Uh, I don't have that right in front of me, but as of today, that one, that one's the, la- the last one we're working on trying to pay off. So I think it's the cash flow might be $700 or something like that. I don't I mean, you have different people That's look fantastic. at people, people look at it differently. You got your mortgage, you got your, you know, you got all sorts of other stuff. Um, CapEx. It's 140% you know, cash and cash return. If you put five grand in at the end of the day and get 77,000 some odd, I guess 8,400 a month a year in cash flow. Yeah, that's not bad. Let's, let's go to your duplex. <laughs> so then, yeah, then we got this um, duplex for 67,500 um, and put 40, 40K into it. And, I need to go yeah. buy in Michigan. Not anymore, but yeah, back in the day, <laughs> just a couple of years ago. And we refinanced and got, we only got 80, well, yeah, so we, we got 85 out on that. And so we, we left 22,000 in there. I, I love it. I think I think that that's, that's a big point key here is that most burrs, I believe you do not get to pull out all of your money that you put in. doesn't mean you're losing. You're still just, you're, you know, you're into that property for 20,000 instead of 40,000 or whatever it would be, which is, is still very advantageous. And because of the way you're doing it, it sounds like you're adding value and, and, and upping the value and, and running the numbers pretty accurately. You're still not taking that much risk relative to other forms of investing. Yeah. And it, and it also is a blessing in it was that we got to be where my family was like where I grew up, my parents and my sister. And now like I mentioned earlier, now that my dad's passed, like I have all these great memories of working on the houses together. So I'd spend like two or three weeks, maybe four weeks, some, some, some years, um, out there in, in Michigan with my, with my family just, and they were helping too. That's a big part of it. They were, they're a big part of our success for sure. 
but yeah, just all the extra time that we got with my family was, was awesome. So you, you bought this property in 2017 and over what period of time did you amass the next couple, where did you, where, what, what was the, the activity set here that resulted in your, your overall portfolio? Yeah. So that was 2017, the first one. And then the next one was 2018. And then we bought two other houses in 2019. And then the pandemic hit my parents in the town that they live in. There was a, a breach of three dams downriver. And then the dam about two blocks from their house also failed. Uh, 40,000 people were evacuated. It flooded their house. It flooded the, their rental house next door. And yeah, my mom broke her arm right before that and a uh, pandemic. And then my uncle died of cancer. My mom got cancer. My dad died of cancer all in one year. So, so all that happened. Jeez. Yeah. In 20, 2020. And so, um, yeah, we just, that reset everything. Like, you know, you think about life a lot differently. And, um, I think that's kind of why our, our shift happened from, from going into getting more properties. We wanted to focus on helping my parents get out of the damage, the flood damage. And, and then with the cancer and all that stuff that just took over. And, uh, so now we're kind of just, we had all this sitting cause we were just going to go all in. And so I actually, we pulled out all of our, maybe not recommended, but we pulled out all of our contributions, our Roth contributions, because those are tax-free to pull out. So we pulled all that out because we saw the return was so good in Michigan that we were just going to focus on that. And then we could always dump more money into retirement, traditional retirement if we needed to. But at that point, we're like, the return is so good. Let's just go, let's just go in all in there. So we had this money sitting here ready to do more burrs, more, more property. And then all this happened and we just tightened it up. We're like, let's just we're not doing anything. Let's just pay off the debt. So that's what we've been focused on lately is paying off these properties. So, um, that post on Facebook that got us talking was, uh, that we finally had reached a point where our passive income was paying for our, our lifestyle, which was, I, cause I wasn't planning on that. Cause it was going to be a while. Cause we were just doing burrs, but when we paid everything down, that, that was pretty neat uh, moment to see, and a, and a big part of paying it down, I think, was that we were just tapped out emotionally. And the other part was, I'd see my dad pass. You know, you, it, he was healthy, and he like he found out in the summer, and he's gone in the fall. So it's like we we don't have today, tomorrow. We have today, and so I have, you know, I have an insurance policy on me, but my wife's at home; she's homeschooling. We want that to keep happening because um, it's great. You know, the kids love it; she loves it. But if I were to go life insurance be kind of there, but it wouldn't be enough to her ever keep doing that. So I figured if we pay off all the, all the debt, then she can just keep doing it. You know, we don't have to worry about that. And so that, that was also a big factor was kind of a life insurance of sorts too. Not that as we saw with the flood, not anything is guaranteed. So like, even though we're paying these things off, disaster can strike, but we're doing our best to make it. So we have, have uh, more options uh, for the family for sure. So I, I think it's a really powerful why and a big shift with that, with that kind with that. And thank you for sharing all of that. And that's, that's very personal and got to be a really tough year with this. How many houses did, are we talking about here? I, I think I, I counted four properties at this yeah, four. at rental properties, yeah. one of which was at least was a duplex. Yeah. So we have yeah, the three single families and the duplex. Okay. And then are, are, are they all paid off at this point? 
Uh, everything but that first house uh, that we that we bird. So yeah, like the two single families and one one duplex. When do you expect to have the uh, the the last one paid off? I think we're we're hoping like twelve to eighteen months. That's a goal. Twelve to eighteen so, months. Yep. I can hear people right now yelling at the radio. No, don't pay it off. Leverage because money's so cheap. And Scott and I even are on camp. Don't pay off your mortgage, but we're not living with you. So, you know, what do you say to people who are like, oh, you should always just leverage all the time? I mean, I, I agree. Mathematically, that's the way to go. But life isn't all about math, you know, and for for us, <laughs> yeah, for us, it's uh, like kind of what I mentioned, like the whole life circumstances are we don't have any energy. We're tapped out, you know. And we're living and seeing what can happen overnight made me think about tomorrow. So paying off the debt right now is probably the quickest way for us to have stability um, in our family if I were if I were to go tomorrow. Which, you know, we're not planning on that, but you don't know. So I think you're right. You know, mathematically, it isn't the best, but sometimes you just do what's best for your situation. And that I think that for us, seeing how our life is, that's that's the best way. I love that. I love that. Yeah. You do what's best for you. So Nate, let's talk about an emergency fund. I hear you saying that you, you have these all paid off. Do you also have an emergency fund for oh, emergencies? What a horrible yeah. way to phrase that. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah. We have that, uh, that one still we're paying off. So, but everything else is, is paid for, but we do have an emergency fund 25, 30, um, right now, 30,000, um, just for emergencies and then, you know, life emergencies or it's, it's combined. It's not separate where you have your personal emergency fund and your house emergency reserves. We usually have more than that, but since we're paying down that, that last debt, we're a little bit more aggressive on that. And since the other ones are paid off, the cash flow is pretty good. So we'd be able to, to swing it. I think you have four rental properties one duplex in there. So five rental units. And then you also have your primary residence. Do you, did you pay off your primary residence as no. part of this or no? Okay. Yeah. The, the primary is plans? not really, not yet. Maybe, I mean, it's maybe someday. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's not our immediate plan. I think I, we'll see what happens with life and how we're feeling, you know, once these things are, are paid off, what, what direction we're going to want to go. But before our goal is to have 10 properties rental properties, five of them paid for. So we're, we're kind of doing it backwards, getting them paid for the five, four or five paid for first and then moving on to the leveraged ones. But yeah. I, th I think that's very interesting about that, 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 that decision to pay off the rental properties, but not the primary residence um, with, with that kind of stuff. Could, do you have a reason for, is that, is there a, a strategy behind that or is that what was the, the there? Mostly it's just the percentages, uh, the, the, the debt, Oh, the higher interest rate on the interest, higher interest rate. property. Yeah. Hmm. That makes sense, actually. Okay. Um, and then do you have any plans to buy more rental properties after you've got these four paid off? I think so. I think we just shifted for a, sh a short while. But yeah, we're, we're just trying to feel out the waters with, with life and how we're feeling um, emotionally and, and physically and with our kids and everything. So I think the goal is to keep going. One one question I I have about the portfolio is you mentioned you flew out to Michigan and spent time with your family improving the properties. 
how do you think the scenario, the returns and the, would it, would it have been worthwhile if you had completely hired it out and done it remote uh, out of state in Michigan? What, would that have changed the profile of the, the returns of the, and, and how well this has worked out for you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure it would have changed it. I don't know how, um, could have been better. It could have been worse. I, uh, I'm glad I did it though, because that was precious time with my dad. Absolutely. I, I'm just wondering if I'm listening and I'm saying, wow, look at these returns. My, my belief is that a good part of those returns have to do with the, all of the other things, qualitative factors that went into those properties as well as well as the math that you you clearly had mastered going into the into those things and i just wonder if it would have been very expensive for example to contract out all of the labor that went into repairing those properties for someone who's listening and trying to repeat this this may not be repeatable in the same sense without some of those advantages or it may be and i, I you know i'm not sure yeah no i think you're right I mean, and a lot of it was family and friends helping them out and how you know you can't you can't ask for that you know and we felt a little bad having having that happen, but they wanted to invest in our future too. And it's something they, that my parents could do and my sister and brother-in-law as well and some other friends. So yeah, I think you can't repeat that unless you have a bunch of family and friends that want to help you out <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Well, and your, your, your work, you know, or your, your, your situation in general allowed you to spend several weeks at a time working on these properties, at least a few times on at least a yep. few occasions as well. Yep. So and just, I would spend, just I would work those out that, I'd work probably 80, 85 hours at least during those weeks that I was there too. I was just pushing it as hard as I could. I was only there for a short time. So I was really, really focused on, on getting it done. So yeah, yeah so, it, I that, mean, that it, did affect it for I, sure. I, just, I don't want to, I don't want to like paint a rosy picture of Burr here for, for folks because of that, with that, not, not that it can't be done, just that, you know, you didn't get all your money out. You went to a place that was, um, very distant from where you lived, but you had connections, family, and you're willing to do 85 hours a week of work to, to prepare the properties as quickly as possible and upgrade yep. them, adding value, yeah. increasing rents, all that kind of stuff. That's how Burr can be so powerful, but it's, it, you know, you're not going to get that same profile that you just described, um, anywhere in the country by just dumping money in from Denver um, while, while, you know, trying to be completely passive with that project. That's all I'm trying to point out. For True. Folks yeah. Now we definitely forced it with, with our own sweat equity and our family's um, kindness. Yep. Scott, I'm glad you pointed that out because there is this, frankly, I think it's kind of a misconception that Burr is the best strategy for someone who's just starting out and it can be a good strategy, but you're combining the, all the elements of flipping a house with all of the elements of renting out a house. So you're actually learning two different strategies at the same time. So if you're listening to this and thinking, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. It is a lot of work. It's a, flipping a house is a lot of work. Rehabbing a house, just even, I mean, even if it's just cosmetic, but especially if there's other things, if you're trying to do this yourself, that's a lot of work. Know that going in, even if you're not trying to do it yourself, you're still trying to find a, a contractor. How easy is it to find a contractor, Scott? I've been doing this forever and it's hard to find a contractor. If you know any good ones, call me. Yeah, <laughs> I have a line on an electrician, Scott. So if you need one, but yeah, I it can too. be, you know, it can be a big, big, big task. So I'm glad that you pointed that out because I'm getting ready to write an article. It's like, Burr might not be the best strategy for you if you're just starting out. Well, it's a great, it's a great strategy for you if it's your first investment after you've spent 
seven years practicing excellent financial fundamentals uh, with that, have a high savings rate and really studied the market, know your math and are willing to go out there and, and bust it for several weeks um, alongside friends, family, or, or even just by yourself and with a, some hired help there. Um, then it's a great strategy uh, and, and can, can, you know, make an enormous difference in your life in just three or four years. Right. So which which is what happened with that. Yes, I take it back. Burr is an excellent <laughs> way for beginners to become overnight successes in just three to four short years by leveraging all those things. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. So yeah, everyone's story is different and it's not always repeatable, but you can always grab a little bit from everybody's story, I think. Absolutely. So for the next 12 to 18 months, you're going to be paying off this debt and then you're going to start looking at the market again. Yeah, start looking I'm, and see. I'm really curious to see what happens because the market is, is increased so much, you know, that, that duplex that we, is probably like 215,000. Now that house, that first house is probably 250. The other house we, we just paid cash for, cause we were going to burn it. We paid 75,000 for it. It's probably worth 150 now. And we just painted it. I mean, you know what I mean? Like the whole market, I can't do this anymore in that market. So we'll see. And that's another part of it. We couldn't find anything. It all just got it all just got switched overnight. So yeah, we'll see what happens in a year or a year and a half. But yeah, that's our goal is to find a market or or the same market or I don't know. Our 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 story changes as as you noticed, and I think everyone's does. We were on an index path fund, and now we're moving to real estate. And my wife always like you keep changing. I'm like, well, new opportunities come up, you know. So it's hard to know. <laughs> I like so that. Be fluid. When yeah. you what is what is the uh, the phrase life is what happens when you make other plans or when you're busy making other plans, you plan for this. And then life's like, Nope. Gonna right. just I thought give it was you a man big old plans. Flat. God laughs. Yeah. There you that, go. That, that, yeah. And you, and you look at my parents' story and that's very true, right? You know, they've, <laughs> everything came to them and, and it just hit them so hard, but I wish you guys knew my yeah, mom. She, she's uh so joyful still. And, uh, hasn't, I mean, it's amazing. The testimony to her, to her faith for sure. But yeah, she's an amazing lady. Well, I, uh, I, I, I think you're going to be very successful with your stuff. Your fundamentals are great. You're going to, I think I have no doubt you're going to pay off that property probably a little sooner than you think. And then, um, or hopefully, and, yeah. um, I wish you the best of luck in finding that next market and continuing the story. Um, when you find it after you complete the flip and you know, the market's changed, then you can tell everybody about the secret market that you found. <laughs> um, that's great for burying next with that. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It's hard to find any right now for sure. Thank you. Boy. Well, should we move on to the, the famous four here? Yeah. I think it's time. Nate, are you ready? I think so. Okay. Nate, what is your favorite finance book? It's hard to narrow it down. Um, it really is. So Hit I was looking around. Couple. Okay, I mean that Tightwad Gazette thing I, I mentioned was was pretty pretty uh pretty great. Rich Dad Poor Dad. Um, this book here, um, uh, Coach Carson talks about it. One house at a time. Yeah, uh, Chad Carson uh, has had that guy on his his podcast, and uh, yeah, it, it kind of simple a simple way to to do kind of do one house at a time pay them off in 15 years and it's a really basic book but it, it was a good one for us all the stuff you guys have put out i love i've read all those books they're, they're wonderful so yeah a lot of resources it's amazing 
well, well, we'll just link to all those books uh, uh, in, in the show notes. So, and of course, we're always happy to plug our, our bigger pockets books uh, there as well. What What was your biggest money mistake? Um, my wife keeps me from making too many of those, um, but probably. I mean, it could be taken out the retirement. We'll see about that um, in the future. Um, it could be that, or it could be uh, maybe selling our house um, to get this one. We, I mean, if I would have known what I knew now, I probably would have kept that first house we bought and rented it out. As a rental? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. Those are opportunity yeah. cost mistakes. And that says that, hey, you really didn't, you really haven't had a big blunder with money in, in your past compared like so, like a lot of people have bought a car that really cost them or lost tons of money on a house you're saying mate did i make the right resource allocation decision time will only tell but i but you made the highest probability bet that you could with the information you have at the time with that and i want to be clear you did not take money out of the you, you did not um liquidate a retirement account to and realize income a taxable income like like you would if you liquidated a 401k you did not pay penalties on that you just withdrew the contributions to Roth IRAs, which is a non-taxable event and is something that you have the option to do as in contributing to Roth IRAs. Is that right? Uh, that's mostly right. We also, I got okay. laid off for like two weeks. So I did take advantage of the, um, we have a work plan that's not very good. It has a high um, management fee. So I took I took that out and we're paying that taxes on that for the next three years, but we're not getting the penalty for that. So I, I did do that as well. Okay. So you put, you took some money out of a tax deferred account and we'll pay taxes on it, but not penalties. Yeah. Because of the, the, the law, the, the new rules from the, if you're affected by coronavirus with, you know, layoffs or anything like that, since I was, I decided to do that. Well, and that time will tell on that too. Nope. Well, makes sense, but I, I think I think that if you're going to make money mistakes, those are the type to make. Is 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 like yeah. here's a here's like I think this is the better bet. I've done a lot of research. I'm going to go for it and see how it plays out. Um, to me, as a, I, I completely respect, uh, I, I have a lot of respect for mistakes, uh, quote unquote, like like that. I think that's great. Well, and if you find some windfall, you can repay that back. You don't have to take all of it out and then just pay taxes on it. If you pay it back before three years are up, you have the opportunity to, it's like a loan. Yeah. More than, more than uh withdraw with, yep. with how I'm trying to say withdrawment, but that's not a right. Withdrawal. Word. <laughs> <laughs> Withdrawal. Withdrawal. <laughs> that doesn't sound right either. Okay. Uh, moving along, Nate, what is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? Um, get out of debt. You know, if you have debt, um, if you don't just, I mean, and if you do either way, look at your bank statements and just see what, where your money's going, you know, read your money or your life and, um, and follow their, their direction. Um, map out what you, what you're, you've always made, you know, just go through that book and then, um, look at your expenses and see where your money's going and, and start on the, the worst defenders and, and try to get, try to hack that, try to hack each one, you know, like the house hacks. Great. Um, uh, any of that, just keep going down the list. Um, and we still do that every, every year we look at our expenses and see if there's a better way. Like we just got a new phone plan with Comcast. It's like, if you don't have da data, 
it is so cheap. I don't know if you guys have Xfinity Comcast. If you're Xfinity Comcast uh, subscriber for internet, you can use you can do their phone plan, and it's super cheap. Like my me, my wife, my our daughter, and my mom, twenty two dollars a month total. Um, but that that oh, gives you a wow. limitation on data that you have to be smart about. Is that right? Yeah, you, you have one gig of data shared, but we just turn the data off, and we're in internet most of our lives. And do you really need to be looking at your phone your whole life? I mean, when you're out and about, like, you, <laughs> and Xfinity has so many hotspots in town. I found, I mean, like you're at the mall or you're wherever they're, they're, they're everywhere. You don't need it. And if you do, you just turn it on for a second. You really don't need data in my opinion. I mean, unless you're like, that's your job, but we probably should be less connected probably than, than we are. And that's a different topic, but yeah, I well, agree I with it. you. But yeah, you can keep looking at different ahead, parts of your uh, your budget like like that. So instead of paying a hundred dollars a month, you're paying twenty two, and you're you know paying it's everybody's phone. I don't know. So yeah, you just look at all the options of your different personal finance and and try to bring it down as as low as you can. Love it. What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? Um, well, I try to think of jokes that have never been told before. And so, uh, this is one you probably never heard. I'm sure. Um, is your refrigerator running? Yes, I think so. Well, you better go catch it. Okay. That one's been done a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't think of any good ones. I thought, let's just think of the the joke that's been told the most. And that's probably the one. No. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, my, 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 (laughs) my daughter said I should do this one. It's, uh, what do you call a pencil with uh with two erasers? I don't know. No, don't worry about it. It's pointless. Ah, uh, pointless. Uh, a pointless <laughs> and dull pencil joke. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, where, Nate. Where can people find out more about you? Um, I don't have too many places. I guess uh, I'm on Bigger Pockets, like the real estate um place, and you can give them my email if they want to email me. It's just my name, my full name, Nathan Forbes at gmail.com. Uh, and that's, that's probably the best two places to find me. I would say Facebook, okay, but awesome. I, I I probably would just message you, but I wouldn't really friend you cause I've got all my kids stuff on there. Ah, okay. Good point. Good point. Okay. Well, fantastic. Nate, this was awesome. I love your point of view. I love the the whole frugality thing as not a punishment, but just as a way of life. I think a lot of people look at frugality and they're like, oh, well, I could never do that. And look at Nate. Nate made $5,000 a year and still didn't have any debt. Nate wins. Nate is doing awesome. And I'm so thankful that you came on our show today to share your story. Yeah, thank well, you. This is a wonderful yeah. story and really effective approach. Love it. Thanks for having me. And I just have to say, it's not, it's a community. You know, it's you guys, it's uh, family, friends. Uh, there's a lot of blessings that have, have helped us get to this point. So, th- yeah, thank you guys for what you do. It's awesome. It really helps. Um, it's probably more than you know, I'm sure, the ripple effect. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, the community is is so important. Uh, last week we spoke with Brenda Olmos, and she said, you know, one of the biggest things is to surround myself with people who don't care what kind of car I drive and don't care about, um, you know, what kind of clothes I wear and whatever. And that's super powerful. And that's you know what we're trying to create here is just here's a community of people who think like you do, frugal weirdos. 
Yeah. And when you strip all that other stuff away, they see who you actually are instead of your, your stuff. So I think it's, it's, it's better in many ways. Yeah. So thank you guys. Well, I agree, but it is mine. So of course I would agree. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you, Nate. We will talk to you soon. Have a good day. All right. Talk to you guys later. Thank you. Okay. That was Nate Forbes. Scott, what did you think of Nate's story? I thought it was great. I think it was, um, Look, it's been a 13, 14 year journey to FI since uh, discovering Dave Ramsey and beginning to kind of move some of his financial position forward. And I think what's I think it's just a highly repeatable um, approach here. There was nothing. There was no flashy event, no exciting turn of events. No, no. Um, there were some challenges and hardships, especially in the last year, um, which is, which I'm sure have been incredibly tough for him. But what I think is so great about it is, hey, here's a guy with four kids and one income household who is able to just do the fundamentals right over a sustained period of time, get to coast by, and then pay off a rental property portfolio relatively quickly. I mean, that's remarkable, and I think it's really impressive, and I and I hope that it inspires a lot of people to um, rethink a lot of aspects of their lives and, and, and see if they can't achieve a similar result, even if they do have large families. Scott, this story kind of reminds me of the episode with Jordan Clint. Jordan Clint, um, for those who are um, wondering, is the guy with the enormous beard. Of course, if you listened to it, you wouldn't have seen the beard, but he had a great a great beard. Um, yes. That was yes. episode 63. Episode 63. Wow, Scott's faster than I am today. Whew, yeah, I, I, I Googled have it. Them. <laughs> I normally have them at my fingertips, but I was I was slow today. But yeah, his story reminds me of Jordan. Jordan has five kids, but he's still investing in real estate. He has a job, but his wife is a stay-at-home stay-at-home mom. The bottom line is you can absolutely reach financial independence with kids without a computer programmer salary. You just have to be intentional with your spending. Consciously don't spend every dime that you make. Invest it wisely. You know, be prepared to make different choices than other people who aren't on the financial independence path. And you will be able to make it. You're not going to make it if you spend every dime you make. You don't invest anything in the future. You, you know, buy all the latest and greatest everything there is and try to keep up with the Joneses. That's just not the recipe for financial independence. And, you know, here's yet another story of I did it and I didn't do it in a flashy, exciting way, but I did it. And I mean, he's he's in his he's 40 now. He's coast fi with four kids and a low income. That's awesome. Absolutely. And, and, and he, he had a few advantages that he took advantage of and, and, and worked on and they made his life and his finances better and that kind of stuff. And I think that's, that's the creativity you're going to have to bring, um, to the table with, 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 um, a large family and those types of things. But I, I think it was really fun and really exciting and, um, go Nate. Yep. Go Nate. Okay. Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. Okay. From episode 197 of the bigger pockets money podcast. He is Scott Trench. I am Mindy Jensen saying, gotta go, Buffalo. It's 
Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. 